Hello and welcome to the Idiot Book Nook Podcast, episode 23. My name is Blazewing and my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett. My pronouns are primarily (laughs) she, her, sometimes they, them. Also, potentially get off of me, cat. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Today we're bringing you chapter seven of the Amulet of Samarkand, the first book in the Bartimaeus trilogy written by Jonathan Stroud. We are, as usual, going to start off with a chapter reading and then we are going to have discussion afterwards. But first, there's some housekeeping. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can find Lady Punnett at linktree, uh, L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E. Sorry. L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Lady dot, or sorry, Paulina dot Avalon. Bleh, words hard. You can find The Reading Dragon on Linktree, L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash The Reading Dragon. And you can find me at L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Blazewing 2010. If you would like to check out our podcast feed and or leave us a voicemail message, you can do so at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook. And if you would like to check out our website, that's idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. I will also point out that we do have a Facebook page as well as an Instagram page, wherein all of our uh, episode posts, uh, when they come out, uh, are put up for social medias. And if we can gain some traction there and we can gain some audience there, we are more than happy to start putting out content there as well on top of uh, just our regular episodes, you know, now going live, kind of behind the scenes stuff and uh, ramping those up a bit more. So those are a thing that are in the works. Feel free to check those out. You can usually find us at Idiot Book Nook. We're trying to keep that as our slug. Sorry. With that being said, I believe our narrator has chapter seven ready to go. So, narrator, please take it away. The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book One, The Amulet of Samarkand by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by the Reading Dragon, voice acted by Blazewing 2010 and Lady Punnett. Chapter Seven. The Egyptian boy wandered off along the alley, made a couple of right-angle turns, and came out in one of the many roads that radiate from Trafalgar Square. Trafalgar. Trafalgar Square. I was revising my plans as I went. Forget the square. Too many irritating children around. But perhaps if I found a shelter close by, the amulet's pulse would still be hard for the spheres to locate. I could hole up behind some bins until the morning came. It was the only option. I was too wary to take to the skies again. And I wanted to do some thinking. And the old pain had started up again, throbbing in my chest, stomach, and bones. It wasn't healthy to be encased in a body for so long. How humans can stand it without going completely mad, I'll never know. Lady Punnett, you can take the first one. Then again, maybe that explains a lot. 
I stumped down the dark, cold street, looking at my reflection as it flitted across the blank squares of the windows alongside. The boy's shoulders were hunched against the wind, his hands deep in his jacket pockets. His trainer scuffed the concrete. His posture perfectly expressed the annoyance I was feeling. The amulet beat against my chest with every step. If it had been in my power, I would have ripped it off and lopped it into the nearest trash can before dematerializing in high dungeon. But I was bound by the orders of the child's command. I had to keep it with me. There have been cases where a spirit has attempted to refuse a command. On one notable occasion, uh, Asmoral, the Resolute, was instructed by his master to destroy the genie Ayana, but Ayana had long been Asmoral's closest ally, and there was a great love between them. Despite his master's increasingly severe injunctions, Asmoral refused to act. Sadly, though his willpower was equal to the challenge, his essence was tied to the irresistible tug of the magician's command. Before long, because he did not give way, he was literally torn in two. The resulting matter explosion destroyed the magician, his palace, and an outlying suburb of Baghdad. After this tragic event, magicians learned to be cautious of ordering direct attacks on opposing spirits. Opposing magicians were a different matter. For our part, we learn to avoid conflicts of principle. As a result, loyalties among us are temporary and liable to shift. Friendship is essentially a matter of strategy. I took a street away from the traffic. The massed darkness of high buildings closed in on either side, oppressing me. Cities get me down, almost as if I am underground. London is particularly bad. Cold, gray, heavy with odors and rain. It makes me long for the south, for the deserts, and the blank blue sky. Another alley led off to the left, choked with wet cardboard and newspapers. Automatically, I scanned through the plains, saw nothing. It would do. I rejected the first two doorways for reasons of hygiene. The third was dry. I sat there. It was high time I thought through the events of the night so far. It had been a busy one. There was the pale-faced boy, Simon Lovelace, the amulet, Jabor, for quarrel, a pretty hellish brew all around. Still, what did it matter? At dawn I would hand over the amulet and escape this sorry mess for good. Except for my business with the boy. Oh, he'd pay for it. Big time. You didn't reduce Bartimaeus of Uruk to dossing in a West End back alley and expect to get away with it. First, I'd find out his name. Then, wait, wait. Footsteps in the alley. Several pairs of boots approaching. Perhaps it was just coincidence. London's a city. People use it. People use alleys. Whoever was coming was probably just taking a shortcut home. A shortcut home. Down the mm, down the very alley that I happened to be hiding in. I don't believe 
in coincidences. I shrank back into the doorway's shallow well of darkness and cast a concealment upon myself. A layer of tightly laced black threads covered me where I sat in the shadows, blending me into the murk. I waited. The boots drew nearer. Who might it be? A night police patrol? A phalanx of magicians sent by Simon Lovelace? Oh, perhaps the orbs had spotted me after all. It was neither police nor magicians. It was the children from Trafalgar Square. Five boys, with the girl at their head. They were dawdling along, looking casually from side to side. I relaxed a little. I was well hidden. And even if I hadn't been, there was nothing clear from them now that, that they were out of the public gaze. Admittedly, the boys were big and loutish-looking, but they still were just boys, dressed in jeans and leathers. The girl wore a black leather jacket and, trouser, and trousers that flared widely from knees down. There was enough spare material to make a second pair for a midget. Down the alley they came, scuffling through the litter. I realized suddenly how unnaturally silent they were. In, in doubt, I checked the other planes again. On each, everything was just as it should be. Six children. Hidden behind my barrier, I waited for them to go past. The girl was in the head. She drew level with me. Safe behind my barrier, I yawned. One of the boys tapped the girl's shoulder. It's there. He said, pointing. Get it. The girl said. Before I had a chance to get over my surprise, three of the burliest boys leaped into the doorway and crashed down upon me. As they touched the concealment wisps, the threads tore and dissolved away into nothingness. For an instant, I was overwhelmed by a tidal wave of distressed leather, cheap aftershave, and body odor. Ugh. I was sat upon, punched, and smacked about the head. I was bundled unceremoniously to my feet. Then I reasserted myself. I am Bartimaeus, after all. The alley was illuminated by a brief discharge of heat and light. The bricks of the doorway looked as if they had been seared on a griddle. To my surprise, the boys were still holding on. Two of them gripped my wrists, while the third had both arms tight around my waist. I repeated this effect with greater emphasis. Car alarms in the next street started ringing. This time, I confess, I expected to be left in the charcoaly grip of three charred corpses. Lady... On it. Would you care to take number three? Of course. Despite what some would say on the subject, many of us have no particular interest in harming ordinary humans. There are exceptions, of course, of which Jabbar is one. However, even for mild-tempered jinn as nice such as myself, there is such a thing as being pushed too far. But the boys were still there, breathing hard, and holding on like grim death. 
Something was not quite right here. Hold it steady, the girl said. I looked at her. She looked at me. She was a little bit taller than my current manifestation, with dark eyes, long dark hair. The other two boys stood on either side of her like an acneed guard of honor. I grew impatient. What do you want? I said. You have something around your neck. The girl had a remarkably level and authoritative voice for someone so young. I guessed she was about 13. Says who? It's been in full view for the last two minutes, you cretin. It fell out of your t-shirt when we jumped you. Oh, well, fair enough. Hand it over. No! She shrugged. Then we'll take it. It's your funeral. You don't really know who I am, do you? I made it sound damn casual, with a side of helping of menace. You are not a magician. Too right I'm not. She spat the words out. A magician would know better than to trifle with one such as me. I was busy cranking up the awe factor again, although this was always fairly tricky when you have a brawny half-wit clasping you around your waist. The girl grinned coldly. Would a magician do well against your wickedness? Uh, she had a point there. For a start, a magician wouldn't have wanted to come within a dog's bark of me without being protected up to the hilt with charms and pentacles. Next, he would have needed the help of imps to find me under my concealment. And finally, he would have had to conjure up a fairly heavyweight genie to subdue me, if he dared. But this girl and her boyfriends had done it all on their own, without, seemingly per without seeming particularly fussed. I should have let fly a full-strength detonation or something, but I was too tired for anything fancy. I fell back on empty bluster. I laughed eerily. <laughs> I'm toying with you. That's empty bluster. I tried another tact. Despite myself, I said. I confess I'm intrigued. I applaud your bravery and daring to accost me. If you tell me your name and purpose, I will spare you. In that I might well be able to help you. I have my I have many abilities at my command. To my disappointment, the girl clamped her hands over her ears. Don't give me your weaseled words, demon, she said. I won't be tempted. Surely you do not want my enmity, I went on, soothingly. My friendship is greatly to be preferred. I don't care about it either, the girl said, lowering her hands. I want whatever it is you have around your neck. You can't have it, but you can have a fight if you like. Apart from the damage it'll do you, I'll make sure I let off a signal that'll bring the night police down on us like gorgons from hell. You don't want their attention, 
do you? That made her flinch a bit. I built on my advantage. Don't be naive, I said. Think about it. You're trying to rob me of a very powerful object. It belongs to a terrible magician. If you so much as touch it, he'll find you and nail your skin to his door. Whether it was this threat or the accusation of naivete that got to her, the girl was rattled. I could tell by the direction of her pout. Experimentally, I shifted one elbow a little. The corresponding boy grunted and tightened his grip on my arm. A siren sounded a few roads away. The girl and her bodyguards looked uneasily down the alley into the darkness. A few drops of rain began to fall from the hidden sky. Enough of this, the girl said. She stepped toward me. Careful, I said. She stretched out a hand. As she did so, I opened my mouth very, very slowly. Then she reached for the chain around my neck. In an instant, I was a Nile crocodile with jaws gape. I snapped down at her fingers. The girl shrieked and jerked her arm backward faster than I would have believed possible. My snaggle teeth clashed, ju clashed just before. Mm, sorry. My snaggle teeth clashed just short of her retreating fingernails. I snapped at her again, thrashing from side to side in my captor's grasp. The girl squawked, slipped, and fell into a pile of litter, knocking over one of her two guards. My sudden transformation took my three boys by surprise, particularly the one who was clutching me around my wide, scaly midriff. His grip had loosened, but the other two were still hanging on. My long, hard tail scythed left, then right, making satisfyingly crisp contact with two thick skulls. Their brains, if they had any, were nicely addled. Their jaws slackened, and so did their grasps. One of the girls' two guards had been only momentarily shocked. He recovered himself, reached inside his jacket, emerged with something shiny in his hand. As he threw it, I changed again. The quick shift from big, the croc, to small, a fox, was nicely judged, if I do say so myself. The six hands that had been struggling to cope with a large scales, wait, the six hands that had been struggling to cope with large scale Large, I'm just going to start this sentence. Large-scale yeah. scales. Yeah. <laughs> Good lord. The six hands that had been struggling to cope with large-scale scales suddenly found themselves clenching thin air as a tiny red bundle of fur had whirling claws dropped... Mm, bundle of fur and whirling claws dropped through their flailing fingers to the floor. At the same moment... A missile of flashing silver passed through the point where the croc's throat had recently been and embedded itself in the metal door beyond. The fox ran up the alley, paws skittering on the slippery cowls. A piercing whistle sounded ahead. The fox pulled up. Searchlights dipped, the sp dipped and spun against the doors and brickwork, 
Running feet followed the lights. That was all I needed. The night police were coming. As a beam swung toward me, I leapt fluidly into the open mouth of a plastic bin. A head. Head, body, brush, gun. The light passed over the bin and went down in the alley. Men came now, shouting, blowing whistles, racing toward where I'd left the girl and her companions. Then a growling and a... Then a growling, an acrid smell, and something that might have been a big dog rushing after them into the night. The sounds echoed away, curled snugly between a seeping bin bag and a vinegary crate of empty bottles. The fox listened, his ears pricked forward. The shouts and whistles grew distant and confused. And to the fox, it seemed as if they merged and became an agitated howling. Then the noise faded altogether. The alleyway was silent. Alone, in the foulness, the fox lay low. And thus ends Chapter 7 of The Amulet of Samarkand. So I have a question. Huh? Yeah. Have, you have you never heard of Trafalgar Square? I don't no. think I have, no. Because we learned about that in school. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever really learned about Trafalgar Square. Would have been junior high. Give me one sec. My information is spotty at uh, is spotty because it's been a while, but let me pull up. Okay. Trafalgar Square. Um, let me pull up the wiki here. It's a public square in the city of Westminster, central, central London, established in the early 19th century around the area formerly known as Charing Cross. Or Charing or Charing Cross. The square's name commemorates the Battle of Trafalgar, the British naval victory in the Napoleonic Wars over France and Spain that took place on the 21st of October 1805 off the coast of Cape Trafalgar. Okay. Hmm. Uh, basically, it's, uh, it's a spot of historical significance. Okay. Is what it is. Hmm. Um anyways, yeah. Um that 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 was yeah. Also it's uh acrid. Acrid. Sorry. It's like a burning kind of tingly smell in your nose. Like it's uh, have you, so I'm have you ever left a pot or a pan on the stove for too long and it started smoking? Yeah. Yeah. You know that smell that comes from it? Yeah. That's an acrid mm -hmm. smell. Okay. I have been pronouncing it wrong for probably the longest time. You're good. It happens. The more you know. Yeah. Why is my internet being such shit? Come Anyways, on. Um, what did we pick up from that chapter? So, a few things of note. The girl stated that she wasn't a magician. <coughs> yep. But she seemed to have enough common sense to, like, not give your name. Yep. Mm -hmm. And apparently, the boy, one of the boys that was with her, was able to sense uh, Bartimaeus. Yep. So that makes me kind of lean more into the one being disguising itself as a bunch of humans, something that Bartimaeus cannot sense. But that being said, at the same time, it looks like its powers may have been split amongst the people that it is um, 
hiding as or that it's using as a disguise. There's also the possibility that maybe they were going to be magicians, but they left their master. Mm -hmm. That could be as well. Yeah. Kind of like um, in the book series Magicians that the sci-fi television series was based off of. There is the factions of individuals who have magical powers that go to like university schools and learn how to harness and utilize their magic properly. And then there's another faction called Hedge Witches, which uh, learn by experience, learn by teaching each other, and they are more underground. We're also given the impression that when Bartimaeus asserts himself or when a djinn or a demon assert themselves, there is a magical, there's a blast of magical energy. And we know it has effects on the physical world because car alarms started going off um, and he was actually expecting to see charred corpses holding on to him. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen, which tells me that they are outside of his grasp, which means basically they're a little more powerful than he is, or mm -hmm. that they are something unknown to demons, or they are unaffected by demon magic, which tells me they are not human. Yep. I think but the girl was. But she would have been charred. Mm -hmm. I think it was like, there could have been a protection on her. Mm -hmm. Because they all seem to listen to her. And from what we've seen, demons are cordial with each other, but they don't listen to each other. Yeah. Now, with that being said, um, they could be some sort of variation of human, like a mix between human and some sort of supernatural. Or they could be supernatural beings themselves other than demonic or djinn. Interesting thought. Because it's not specified as of yet as to if magicians and demons and jinn are the only things of this world. So interesting thought. Supernatural creatures exist. Jinn, demons, imps. Which mm -hmm. also theoretically, stay with me here, implies the existence of gods. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So part of me has to wonder, because gods would not be affected necessarily by demons. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know either. It makes me wonder, though, if there's also, like... If we're going off the theory that people are all born with it, I wonder if there's, like, different systems of magic, like how there are sometimes warlocks. Mm -hmm. Could be. Maybe yeah, especially when you take... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Especially when you take into account there has been some recent things to come up in um, some parts of historical research, depending on what culture. Warlock does mean a, a, a betrayer of one's uh, coven. Mm -hmm. I also kind of want to... I also kind of wonder whether you know, people from different areas of the world are affected by different types of magic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, any other points? Uh... If, so this group of kids, um, they, oh my God, really? Um, they seem to all have kind of the same level of ability when it comes to how much they can withstand from Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. 
So either they're all like siblings and they all have some sort of ability or they were all taught by the same person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, Which also, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I'm curious to find out more about the the night police too. I'm assuming it's like a n- supernatural police force, but maybe, or it's just referring to the normal night police of uh, human society. So, in that context, the words night police would not have been capitalized. If it is capitalized, it is a proper name. Fair enough. Which leads me to believe that it's a supernatural organization. But then again, I don't know much about this world. I don't know much about this book. Mm-hmm. So, um, Also, with the um, mention of a certain type of individual short of shorter standing, mm-hmm. I don't remember if that is a slur or not. And if it is, I apologize. Uh, that is that is just how the book was written. And when I read that, I was like, "Oh, um, I don't remember uh, when the uh, when it was des- when Bartimaeus was describing how the girl was dressed." Uh, let me see here. Do do do. Let me just scroll quickly. Uh, there, there. It's the footsteps. Where the hell? It's got to be around here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Give me a second. Let me take a look. I don't see it. Um, this would have been on, at least in my book, on page. What's the paragraph? Uh, hold on. Starting with five boys with the girl at their head on page 44 in my book. Okay. So that's the paragraph I'm looking at. Yep, if you go down, there was enough spare material there to make a second pair for a... Oh, um, so that is generally considered, yes. Um, Again, that is the way that the book is written. We do not condone the usage of those words. It is not considered appropriate, and we do apologize for that. Um, That being said, please take things with a grain of salt. We are not here to anger people. We are not here to Mm -hmm. upset people. So, Mm -hmm. so, uh, again, the language in some of these books is dated. Um, Yeah, because this is an older book series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Actually, when was Similar to how the whole Huckleberry Finn thing, the language in that. Yes. Yep. Uh, So at least my copy was printed in 2003. Okay. So we're talking almost 20 years, give or take. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Is there anything else we want to talk about? Nothing I can think of. There's a lot of exposition yes. in mm -hmm. this and follow-up to the next chapter. So, so far we're only seeing, like, Bartimaeus' power and the cautiousness of it. Yep. But mm -hmm. not enough that we can really have full-blown conversations about it at this point quite yet. Yep. Yeah. Reading Dragon, what, what do you think? Um, Is there anything I, else you want to bring up? So, let's see here. The fact that they were able to actually find Bartimaeus through the amulet yeah. is adding to the intrigue as to what they actually are. Because if you remember a little bit ago before they had their little fight, Bartimaeus checked through all of the planes again. He checked They're through twice. Still, yeah, almost three times at this point, And still freaking human. So they're so, human. We don't yeah. know. They could be mm -hmm. something that appears as human, especially mm -hmm. uh, in the uh, in the other. Uh, what do they call it? The other planes. The other planes. Yeah, they could be something that appears as human but aren't quite human. There's a lot of creatures out there. It just could be something mm -hmm. that isn't clicking right now. Yeah, because uh, in a previous chapter, Bartimaeus made it to where he looked like a bird on all seven planes. Yeah. Yeah, so there is a possibility that it is something else disguising itself as different children or multiple things disguising themselves as children, powerful enough to do so on all seven planes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that was good discussion. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I've enjoyed chapter seven. Um, Yee. Curious again. I'm 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 intrigued with this, and I can't wait to see where this story goes. But with that, I think we should bring uh, episode twenty three to a close. Uh, so, yeah. if you would like mm -hmm. to follow us, you can follow us on our individual link trees. Uh, Lady Punnett, you can find at lanktr.ee slash paulina.avalon. You can find the Reading Dragon at lanktr.ee slash the Reading Dragon. And you can find myself at uh, lanktr.ee slash blazewing2010. Our podcast feed and our voicemail system is set at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook and our website is idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. We also have an Instagram and a Facebook account that, uh, sorry, Facebook page that you are more than welcome to interact with. Um, you're welcome to come and join us on the Twitch stream on Wednesday mornings at nine mountain time. Um, that's all in my link tree. So yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, don't really know what else to say there. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed chapter seven and, uh, we hope that you are enjoying the amulet of Samarkand, but for episode 23 of the idiot book nook, I'm Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And we will see you guys for episode 24.